Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halperin. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week California, and Weed Week Canada at weedweek.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. Got any feedback? Write to us at hello at weedweek.net. You can join us on Patreon, too. Well, the auto is is pretty cool. And, you know, we've talked about that a few times, but we also have a really cool sort of backpack um, I think it's made out of hemp. I didn't the, know we had a backpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a new edition? I don't know if it's a new edition, but okay. the point is it, it's out there. It's available. And it's a, you know, it's a light backpack for, for day trips and stuff like that. It's pretty. Yeah. You'll get a bonus episode of Weed Week every month. The one we just put out is with Chip Moore from an organization called 420 Blackbirds. It's incisive. It is, um, it's a little edgy and it's fun. Um, it's part of the whole Weed Week milieu you want to be a part of this so today we have an interview with joy beckerman and she is the hemp ace she's a a hemp expert and consultant with hemp ace international and it's the fifth anniversary of that organization and just learned i'm impressed by that really oh well i caught her at at recharge and i thought she was really impressive she had so much knowledge yeah recharge our our weed week events um she knows a lot she's been involved in in cannabis and and hemp activism for for more than 25 years she really knows a little bit a lot about the stuff but um first we thought we would give you a bit of a a cliff notes on hemp do people still say cliff notes oh that's such a 20th century (laughs) reference but we'll allow it for today Uh, you know I, i i think it's a great idea to have this because there's so much action and so little understanding you know hemp tell us about it i know a little bit about you can prep us for joy's deep hemp yeah um so hemp is a plant it it looks a lot like marijuana it basically is marijuana, except that the U.S. government defines hemp as marijuana with less than 0.3% THC. So basically a de minimis amount that's not going to get you high. But what makes hemp interesting is that it can be used to make all sorts of useful things like paper and cloth and, and biofuel. And it's recently been been legalized and hemp activists and those who, who know what they're talking about really say that it's something that will be a huge, potentially can be a huge industry, potentially larger than, than marijuana. Like, for example, if the country were to get all its paper from hemp. Right, right. You know, I, I first became aware of uh, hemp through a documentary called The Hemp Conspiracy that came out in 1996. And it it made me know this thing. And maybe you can help f- fill me in. We know that hemp was legal for a very long time in America. Yeah. I mean, famously, like George Washington grew hemp and all, all like all the founding fathers grew hemp. And even though they probably didn't smoke marijuana, although that's been sort of a stoner it's fantasy. Fun, yeah, it's fun to think that. For a while. But and some people say that the Constitution was written on hemp. That's not true. It was written on parchment. Yeah. But, but they say that drafts of the Constitution were probably written on hemp paper. So it's this thing that it's been incredibly useful for a long time. The the British Navy their their ropes were made of hemp. Hmm. I think a lot of their their sails were were made of hemp. And this was when the British Navy conquered the world. Um. So so it is really useful. And then it's sort of it became very hard to access when, when marijuana became illegal and now it's legal again. And 
Joy is going to catch us up on sort of where where the industry is now. Yeah, I'm curious to ask her because it's such a versatile uh, plant. What was the point of driving the underground anyway? And we can talk about the past, but hemp's future is so bright. We should probably be headed there a little bit more. Yeah, right? I mean, it was. Pro- I think some of it was just sort of collateral damage with with marijuana. Really, it just seems like such a big hit to take. When we look at how powerful and how valuable it is now, we just decided this can go away for half a century. That's so weird to me. Well, in World War II, there were American farmers who were growing hemp. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what they were doing with the hemp. Joy might know. And then after that, I guess we started using plastic. Right. And that worked <laughs> out brilliant. So that's basically what happened, I think. Green New Deal includes hemp, most certainly. Does it? I'm betting. I mean, come on. You're talking about a plant that can replace plastic in a lot of ways. Why wouldn't we have it be a part of it? We've got farmers online for it. They're li- they can't wait to be involved in hemp. Yeah. It's and, a no-brainer. And, and you can also build things with it. I mean, you can build... Yeah, automobiles. Ha- yeah, I think that's sort of a novelty. Yeah. But, that, but, but we, like... We prefer the three, hemp-crete. 3D printer. <laughs> hempcrete, my favorite. Let's, don't get me started on hempcrete. Oh, okay. I once saw... I mean, I don't know if this is what you saw, but I once saw a... Um, a like a, a hobbyist who built a sort of chassis for his car out of hemp. Yeah. Well, maybe this is just an apocryphal thing. I want it to be true, and so I say it is, but I swear I saw an automobile made of hemp. Maybe okay. maybe, maybe it was just the windshields. Maybe it was glass. I don't know, but I've seen it in Detroit. All right. Well, since we're sort of running to the end of our knowledge, let's- yeah. um, we can We can put this to- Let's talk to Joy. Joy, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I want to ask you, because I've been very curious about hemp. I haven't really delved deeply like you have. How does a person, when they get interested in cannabis, how do they go down the path of hemp as a specialty? What, what makes that happen? So I got involved in industrial hemp as a convergence, really, of a sense of justice that I was raised with, as well as a sense of planetary healing. So for me... It was at a Grateful Dead show in 1990, just maybe some four or five years after the first edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. This is a book put out by pioneer Jack Herrer. May he rest in peace. Um, He has passed on and edited by, still with us, amazing cannabis activist Chris Conrad out of Northern California. The Grateful Dead was the catalyst for this moving, traveling band of counterculture and subculture information and education. So this Mm -hmm. book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, the reality is that the United States government didn't just seek to remove the the plant from our consciousness. They sought to remove the all knowledge related to the plant from our consciousness. And so Jack Herrer and other pioneers such as Chris Conrad said, you know what, we're going to dig up the documentary evidence, we know that the United States has a very rich history, in fact, was founded on the industrial hemp plant. And we know that there is, uh, there's even a, a video, a movie that the USDA made during World War II called Hemp for Victory. And they sought to scour our national archives in Washington, D.C. and any other library references that they could get to, to recreate and, and dig up this documentary evidence and display it to all of America and to the activists to say, listen, the emperor wears no clothes here. The hemp has a very important place in our 
our agricultural scheme, in our planet, in our nations and planet's history. And we need to educate you and re-emerge this versatile, valuable plant so that we can continue to, to heal the world. And so flyers and informational sheets were being made based on the information that was disseminated in this book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, keeping in mind back in the t- at that time, we had, you know, border tape and Xerox machines, not word processors. So it was photocopying of all of these documents that was printed out and, and distributed across the country. And the knowledge was very often brought and disseminated through the Grateful Dead tour, which was a traveling show, as you might imagine, um, with 50,000 people and more. And folks like me, I didn't just learn about hemp on the Grateful Dead tour. I learned about, you know, natural childbirth and world religions and all kinds of things. So cool. But, But that. That in 1990, that particular flyer that came my way at a Foxborough, Massachusetts show literally affected me on a cellular level and changed the trajectory and the course of my life. So on a cellular level that happened, how does that manifest itself in the work sense? So in a work sense, it was really a convergence. So keep in mind, 1990, I'm 20 years old. I'm 49 today. And I was thinking to myself at that time that we were, you know, killing the planet and killing each other, but that we should, you know, celebrate peace, love and music while we, while everything died and did not realize that there was some, uh, a potential solution or hope in the world. And so when I received this flyer, not that I believe everything that I read, I was raised by a quite an attorney and have worked with them most of my adult life. But I, that particular information hit me in such a way that it was a convergence of this sense of justice. My attorney father raised me by himself. He was also a conservationist um, and, and really an environmentalist. And so I get this information that not only is there potentially a solution here or a pathway to heal the planet and to replace all of these needs of humanities with a soil healing, carbon sequestering, fast growing renewable resource. Can you slow that down, break that little thing down for us? So those three things that I just mentioned, one was carbon sequestering, another was soil healing, and another was fast growing. So carbon sequestering. So we're talking about absorbing CO2 in the atmosphere and, and sequestering it. So all plants, all trees, all of those are all things that are green have uh, carbon sequestering applications to them. Mm-hmm. The issue is that hemp is a very, when it's grown for fiber or nutrition, as opposed to extract, which is sort of a new development and a new industry in hemp, is grown very close together. So it's a very densely planted crop and it has uh, tremendous carbon sequestering capabilities because of that. And additionally, when we use it in certain applications, such as for hempcrete, for example, as an insulation, um, it will continue to sequester carbon based on its mixture with lime. So that is very significant as we talk about our carbon footprint and lowering our carbon footprint. So let's jump ahead to, to the present day. Hemp is now legal. 30 years later, hemp is legal. You know, we see the news every day. A lot of people are very confused about what it means. And they're having all these various issues in states with sort of trucks of hemp being pulled over and confiscated Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So where is legal hemp now? And we sort of what what should we expect to see happen over the next 
two or three years? So the reality is that uh, hemp is federally legal, which is not the same as being legal in all 50 states. We have 50 states here. Each state has to pass its own legislation. The 2018 Farm Bill legalized hemp as an agricultural commodity and brought it beyond a agricultural pilot program specific to research, which is the law that was passed in the 2014 Farm Bill. And most of the states that have passed some form of hemp legislation have passed bills with regard to the agricultural pilot program slash research that was authorized in the 2014 Farm Bill. Now, in 2000, the 2018 Farm Bill, hemp was also defined with an expanded definition, keeping in mind that in the 2014 Farm Bill, industrial hemp was defined for the first time in U.S. history, distinguishing it from marijuana, but the Drug Enforcement Administration took issue with that definition. The DEA is very obstinate, um, contumacious, in fact, and didn't want to understand what any part of the plant meant, which is why our new definition of hemp is very clear that we say it includes the seeds, extracts, derivatives, cannabinoids, compounds, isomers, etc. Why do you think they didn't want to understand hemp? Um, they still don't, but they're out now, thank goodness, to our heroic federal legislators, which was a very, you know, nonpartisan issue. We had staunch Republican conservatives from Kentucky and Democratic liberals from Oregon working on this. Why didn't they? You know, I don't know if it's a, some interesting combination. I try not to be a conspiracy theorist, but I'm also not a fool. Um, mm. I believe it is a convergence of job security, insecurity, and special interests with pharmaceutical companies. I do not, you know, 60 Minutes came out, I think, in October of uh, or September of 2017 with a fantastic expose of, uh, you know, some of the checks that are written at the DEA level from these big pharma companies. Um, so I think it's that apparently, even though we think of the DEA as a very powerful organization, the reality is, from what I understand, there's some 1,000 employees across the United States for the DEA. So it's actually a very stretched out, small um, organization responsible for some, yeah, responsible. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, little guy syndrome or little girl syndrome. I'm not sure. So <laughs> job security, insecurity, and special interests. It's a convergence of crazy and a convergence of not good for the American people. That much I can tell you. So where can we expect to see hemp becoming sort of reaching its trillion dollar potential. What's first? This is all about infrastructure. So as I mentioned, when we were at the Weed Week or uh, event in Los Angeles, that was so fantastic. What we're asking is for farmers to grow a crop for which there is very little infrastructure. And we're asking investors to invest in the infrastructure for which there is growing biomass. So, uh, but one foot in front of the other, we're getting it done. So human and animal nutrition, General wellness, body care, paper, textiles, biocomposites, bioplastics, building materials, industrial sealants and coatings, energy, fuel, biomedical applications, and nanotechnology. So there, I've given you a very full gamut there of the spectrum that hemp and, frankly, cannabis serves for humanity. But when we talk about that, it's easy to say, not so easy to implement all of the infrastructure, the hundreds of millions of dollars of processing, initial processing of the crop, and then further 
manufacturing um, to make all of these incredible products that I'm talking to you about. But yet we're here doing it. And I want to give you, and I'll answer your question, but give you a quick demonstration that in Canada, they started, they federally started regulating hemp in 1998. And Canada quickly became the world's foremost uh, processors of bulk hemp foods and ingredients. So hulled hemp seeds, hulled hemp seed oil, and hemp protein powders. But it took them from 1998 to 2017 to get up to 123,000 acres of hemp grown in that huge country annually. In the United States, we grew just under 10,000 acres in 2016, just under 26,000 acres in 2017, and just under 79,000 acres in 2018. So we are very, very quickly increasing exponentially our biomass accumulation in this country, and that is a tra- that's attracting that the infrastructure dollars. It's happening because of the legal pathways that our federal and state uh, hemp legislators, both heroes and heroines, have opened up for the United States because they see the promise and the versatility of this and the value of this crop. And they see their farmers and manufacturers suffering in their states. They're watching empty warehouses, empty factories, loss of jobs and high unemployment rates. And they're saying, we believe in reinvigorating the the small farmer, the American farmer and American ingenuity here. And they are coming on board over and over again and opening up these pathways and making more and more sensible and responsible legislation that will allow for a high chance of success in their state and ultimately the country to be the leaders in the hemp economy here and catch up to Europe and Canada and China, which are currently leading the infrastructure. We're very quickly following here. We're very quickly catching up. So with marijuana, I'm always looking at sort of which companies are getting involved or sort of dipping their toes in. What about with hemp? Are there major industrial firms that are getting interested? Sure. We're, we're first of all seeing, because keep in mind the legal barriers have indeed prevented some of our really large folks from coming in, which is a double-edged sword, right? Because please keep in mind that we're here for the, the hemp movement traditionally has been built on cottage industry here. Um, and we, of course, are very concerned for the interest of the small farmer and the small family farm. What do you so that's mean a big, by that? So we first built, I, I will give props to John Workshafter of the Ohio Hempery, who back in the early 90s brought in the first sterilized seeds from Inner Mongolia and pressed seed oil from his own tabletop seed press. And from there, the very first hemp body care, hemp lip balm, as it were, um, was made. He got in the first bolts of fabric, and it is, and I had a hemp store, the first hemp store in the state of New York in the early 90s. I wouldn't have had that hemp store if it weren't for the Ohio Hempery and a few other um, small companies that, you know, risked everything and lost everything because hemp is only just now becoming popular. The fortunes and the retirement savings and home equity that have been lost building this movement to get to this point is, you know, untold. Um, but it was it was those cottage industry folks and, and people making these hemp products and selling these hemp products on a very small scale level 
starting in the early 90s, again, thank you to that book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, that really started to create this movement and create these industries, along with, of course, the Hemp Industries Association. So so let's talk about the, the USDA, because it, it sounds like that is what is needed to sort of turn hemp into an industrial crop. Yes. On some that and federal crop insurance, and we can um, ha- they're they're sort of go hand in hand. Okay, so so what what is the USDA going to do in the fall? So right now, what the 2018 Farm Bill did, one of the many things that it did for hemp was it obviously other than knocking out the DEA completely. DEA literally has nothing to do with the hemp crop on any level whatsoever, import export, etc. It made the USDA the sole federal regulator for the hemp crop as concerns cultivation. And it directed the USDA to create um, regulations in case there were states that wanted the USDA to regulate their crop instead of themselves. And until the USDA creates their own regulations, and I want you to know they appear to be working very diligently um, with stakeholders and with our industry coalitions, including the HIA, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable et al., to to create this. And they're doing public comments as well to create this system. Um, And once they do file their regulations in the Federal Register, which we expect to be done in September, according to them, of this year, there will then be a public comment period and then final rules will be filed. At that point, they will start accepting applications from the various states for their commercial hemp programs as opposed to their agricultural pilot research programs, which is the law that all states will be operating under, have been, and will continue to be operating under during the 2019 growing season. So the USDA will become, um, and, and in fact already are, the sole federal regulators. We just It takes a while for them to draft their regs, but they are working as expeditiously as they can, and we have no indications that is just lip service. We have every indication that the USDA understands it's got its marching orders from Congress, and that it wants indeed to uh, move forward with those regs and get these states up and running. Last thing there is to keep in mind that states need to pass additional legislation because most states, not all of them, but most states have passed legislation to create these programs within their departments of agriculture that relate to the agricultural pilot research authorizations from the feds. And so new legislation needs to be passed to give authority to the various state departments of ags to create these commercial hemp programs that are just straight up agricultural commodities. Again, that is the revolutionary thing that our hemp heroes uh, and heroines at the federal level have done for us here. Got it. Let me ask one more question and then we're going to have to go. We could we could talk about this forever. I know. I'm sure you can, you you can yes, but hemp if it sort of attains the kind of scale that that you decide about you, you, you know biofuel building materials paper cloth all all textiles it's going to be very disruptive. Is there significant opposition to it? Is it encountering headwinds in that respect? Our previous sort of just detractors or proponents, which were more of the better living through chemistry folks within in the 1930s, right, where these patents 
were being developed for, let's say, polymer-based, synthetic-based petrochemicals and various processes for making drugs and making paper, so on and so forth. Those folks are no longer our proponents or our detractors. The BPs, the paper makers of the world, they all recognize that they have limited natural resources and they they need to move on to renewable natural resources. They are not our problem anymore. Unfortunately, our problems will continue to be right now, big pharma, although they have much bigger, you know, uh, fish to fry. Having said that, cannabinoids, such as CBD and THC are primary cannabinoids, although we have hundreds um, or at least 140 or more are are a threat to them. They, the alcohol and tobacco industries, um, and unfortunately the legal marijuana industry, which I support and love and work for also, um, are our larger detractors because there is unfortunately um, interest and competition, perceived competition, the hemp industry doesn't perceive it this way, but the marijuana industry does. They are afraid of hemp for A, cross-pollination, and B, are upset that, that the hemp folks will have less regulation and a regulatory burden to access the non-intoxicating molecule of CBD or non-intoxicating hemp extract uh, versus the highly regulated and more expensive industries regarding uh, legal marijuana who have chosen THC, whereas the hemp industry has not chosen THC. And because of the um, euphoric effects of THC, there is, you know, higher regulation as, as medicinally beneficial and spiritually beneficial as that molecule is. So those are actually our detractors not the traditional tractors, detractors that you may think within, you know, fuel, fiber, textiles, biocomposites. They all need hemp and, and are looking to these resources, these fast-growing renewable resources. That's so interesting. Joy, this has been so interesting and, and so much fun, and I'm, I'm sorry we can't talk for, talk for longer. Really good talking to you, Joy. Um, take care. Thanks so much. A pleasure. Thank you both, you guys. Thank you for everything you do. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News or email us at hello at weedweek.net and tell us what do you want to make out of hemp. And don't forget to show us some love on iTunes by giving us a five-star rating or leaving a review. You know how much it means to the show. Of course, if you want to get some cool swag from Patreon, uh, check us out at Patreon slash Weed Week. For more weed news, you can sign up for our newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California, all at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producers, Hannah Smith and Alicia Beyer, wrote our theme music. Additional music is from the late, great Andre Bush. See you here again next week. Goodbye. Bye.